Hi, popcorn junkies. Popcorn junkies, you popcorn junkies. Um, we are reviewing, reacting, understanding, digesting, cogitating, processing, interpreting The Sandman. Episode one of The Sandman on Netflix. This is the Neil Gaiman series. Uh, Neil Gaiman who's given us things like Good Omens and um, American Gods and what have you. Neil Gaiman, whose comic series ran between 1989 to 96. Now, Neil Gaiman's come out in the press today, actually, and I wanted to read a quote by him because you know, there's this sense of, do you have to know the inter in, in intimate detail, you know, the, the contents of the comics? Do you need to know the, the metaphysical qualities of the characters, the, the, the realms that they represent? Do you need to have an intricate and intimate understanding and comprehension and knowledge of what goes on within the comics in order to enjoy the series? I can only think that you don't. Netflix aren't silly. Um, you know, the purpose often with a lot of these franchises transitioning over to television uh, is that, or the big screen, is that you pull in a whole heap of new sort of advocates and fans and what have you. Uh, Gaiman has said uh, that the series is meant to be absolutely enjoyable for those of you who haven't read Sandman. We made it as much for you as the people who had read the Sandman. Nobody gets to gatekeep Sandman. So the reason I'm using that is Neil Gaiman himself has said it's all right not to grasp or know fully all of the intimate details of this realm. I'm going to be reacting to and reviewing episode one. Uh, I'm going to jump jump on some further episodes, but I wanted to just talk about episode one because episode one obviously is the opening shot. It's the first experience I've had of it, and I wanted to share some thoughts and I wanted you to clarify these, clear them up, maybe dissuade me from certain prejudices that I'm already feeling, or kind of promise me something that I can get excited about. Now, one of the things that's really drawn me into the Sandman is the idea of the cast, the forthcoming cast for the Sandman, looks quite sensational. We've got character actors like uh, Jenna Coleman coming through, we've got Gwendolyn Christie playing Lucifer, we've got David Thewlis in there, Charles Dance is in the first episode obviously that we're, we're watching, we've got Mark Hamill in there, Stephen Fry, Sanjeev Bhaskar, um, they're all sorts, all, all sorts of, you know, talented, clever, funny um, actors and performances coming through and I hear that David Thewlis is, is one of the performances that one really needs to keep one's eye out uh, for. Episode one. Well, let's talk to episode one. I have to confess, I have to confess, right at the beginning, I was really excited because I saw Bill Patterson's face. Bill Patterson, a brilliant Scottish actor. He's been trotting out these roles over the years. He's reliable. He's he's always good. He's he's always grounded. There's always a real kind of authenticity to him. And, <clears throat> and he brought a really sort of he made me confident. I felt I always felt confident with Bill Patterson, um, <clears throat> a workmanlike actor. And so right at the beginning there, we had Bill Patterson. And then quite quickly, we moved into a type of CGI with a crow, a raven, a magpie. I think he calls it a crow, but it's got a white chest. Is that a magpie? Are they corvids? Is that what they're called? I've got one over here. Are they called corvids, those types of birds? Um, it became, for me, quite quickly, uh, computer CGI animation. And I was resisting this because I was thinking, hang on, this is like one of those chapter headings at the beginning of a PS4 game or something like that. And I thought, well, no, hang on a minute, pause there. Don't even have prejudice about against computer game animation because they can be good. And I thought, just go with this. Maybe that's the feel. Maybe that's the aesthetic. Maybe the thing that we're going for here is a bit of a twist on the purposeful artificiality of CGI. I was giving it that sort of, you know, maybe, maybe that, that was it. And then within the middle of this, Bill Patterson is kind of moving. He's moving, heading off towards this enormous old house. Um, and we're given a sense of the Sandman, the dreamer. He has control, but all this kind of stuff. So we've got a sense of um, uh, Tom Sturridge, who plays Dream. I mean, he's literally called Dream. He, I think he's also called Morpheus, is he, in the comic books? Um, and he's an endless. He's an endless. I think there are also death. I think there's also... Um, desire is there they all begin with d i think um despair there's despair so we, we were introduced to tom storage and now tom storage i talked about in the trailer reaction which which landed at comic-con 
incredibly sort of emo-esque, incredibly sort of androgynous, sort of, he looks incredibly like, if I'm honest, uh, Neil Gaiman. Uh, a sort of Neil Gaiman slash Edward Scissorhands slash Johnny Depp slash emo type character, lead singer of The Cure or um, The Smiths, that kind of thing. Um, so we were given a sense of Tom Sturridge, uh, Tom Sturridge's dream um, and we're it's told that his narration is working. It's incredibly down. I like his narration, I have to say. I liked his voice. I like yeah, there's authority there. I, could, I, can, I can live with that narrator um, for the rest of the series for sure. We then have Bill Patterson rocks up to this house. He meets Charles Dance. Charles Dance is always good value for money, isn't he? Incredibly tall, sort of, you know, incredibly sort of, he's got such presence, hasn't he? He's got such presence. And so he was this sort of, you know, he's the magus or the magus, isn't he? The, the, the sort of a magician, a sort of a guy, but he's obviously, uh, Bill Patterson's arrived with a book and in this book, they, they're spells and they, and Bill Patterson's lost his son in World War One, And so too has Charles Dance lost his son in, in, in World War One. And so there's the opportunity here with the spells from the book to uh, encant and potentially resurrect perhaps uh, the lives of their lost, of their lost sons. But in the chanting and in the... So I tell you what I'm getting as well. I'm getting Knights of the Round Table. I'm getting all that kind of... What's it called? God, what's that bloody thing when you get the pentangle? And then there's this idea... Masonic. Masonic Lodge type stuff. All that kind of weird, weird stuff is, is threaded into this. Uh, certainly around the Charles Dance character. But Charles Dance invokes Dream almost drags Dream, Tom Sturridge, the kind of the, the, the subject of this series, captures him in the in the spell making and the spell in the spell casting um, and ensnares him. And then we have a naked Sandman uh, who's lost his helmet. And it's a fabulous helmet. It's very alien-esque, isn't it? It's sort of like, like a skull, a little bit like Predator. And in the process of this spell making, he captures Dream. Uh, he also induces an enormous sort of sleep paralysis, if you like, over huge numbers of people. So a sleep condition spreads and infects and captures people. Uh, and we're also introduced to this other character who, um, tell me who he is. Is he Corinthian? Is that his name? I, I think it is. It's a guy in a boater hat who wears sunglasses. I was getting massive Elton John vibes, but I was also getting Michael Sheen vibes from Good Omen. Um, the boater hat seems to be, is it a game and thing? Is it a bit of a Neil Gaiman thing? Um, so, and so he seems to be almost, in a, in a sense, Dream's equivalent. So I'm, I'm sensing that the, the, the standoff here is going to be between Corinthian and Dream. Is that right? Is that, am, I, am, I, am I stacking them up in the correct way for Sandman aficionados? So that's where the beef's going to be. I liked Corinthian. I thought he was malevolent. I think a, a, a boater hat, a straw hat and glasses and a, and a blazer doesn't necessarily make me think malevolent, but I think this is kind of Neil Gaiman's shtick, isn't it? So this guy in the boater visits, visits Charles Dance. Charles Dance finds himself... <laughs> accidentally in possession of Dream, Tom Storage. He puts him in a glass sphere. I have to say, I thought the set design, I liked all the set design of the glass sphere. I was getting Silence of the Lambs thing. I was getting Joker, you know, the sort of trapped thing. And and he was embryonic. I mean, this really isn't, this first episode is really doesn't sort of focus too much on Dream, the, the Sandman, if you like. Um, but he has three things, doesn't he? He has a ruby, he has a mask, and he has a bag of sand. And he blows the sand. Oh, this candy-coloured man they call the Sandman tiptoes in my room every night. Blow, blow sand into his eyes. Go to sleep. Everything will be all right. I was getting very confused because I've got all these kind of ideas about what the Sandman is. E.T.A. Hoffman, you know, the idea that the, the sort of child's kind of fairy tale of the, of, of the Sandman coming in and, and absolutely sort of sprinkling sort of space dust, sand dust into the eyes of children. So Dance gives uh, Dream this kind of trade-off. You resurrect my son. Give me my son and I'll give you your freedom. Uh, but Dreams is a stubborn, stubborn fucker, isn't he? He says nothing. And not only does he say nothing, he says nothing also to Charles Dance's son who comes in and says, I'll free you too. 
He's, he doesn't give anything away, doesn't give anything back. He stays there. I have to confess, I thought the Magus's son, I thought the script here was a bit leaden. There were, mo <coughs> there were moments, the romance that's developing between, say, the groundsman and uh, Charles Dance's son. Um, I wasn't entirely buying into that. I wasn't buying into this this romance that was sort of developing between these two characters. It was a bit wooden, it was a bit stilted, their holding of hands in the garden and all that. It was a bit too... Sometimes I worry that sometimes a show or dramas can get so sort of smugly happy with the fact that they're ticking, rightly so, all the diversity boxes, that they lose any sense of actually executing these scenes with any panache, cleverness or subtlety. So it just became a really sort of, I thought it became a really trite kind of romance between uh, the, the groundsman and uh, Charles Dance's son, the gay relationship. I just thought, oh, this is too twee, come on. You know, we can all cope with a more sort of, I don't know, a more edgier kind of romance of sorts. Charles Dance has a massive row with his son because his son has said that he'll free dream. Basically, Charles Dance and Charles Dance's son are trying to say, we'll free you dream if you can get back our son. Oh, we'll free you if you, if, if you do this for us. And, and Dream's having none of it. Dream's just staying naked in his sphere, glass sphere, and he's, he's having none of it. He said, I remain silent over gifts that weren't human to give, i.e. life and death and all that kind of stuff. Um, there was a really nice scene. I really liked the magpie coming into the, ha into the, into the sort of stately home and setting fire to some documents, Charles Dance's documents. I liked, uh, and there was a very dramatic moment at the moment that the, uh, the bird was shot. When they shot the bird and it splattered all over the glass and you saw uh, dreams upset and distress at this. You know, the handful of dust moment, the romance between, you know, Charles Dance's son and, and, and the groundsman. Oh my God, I mean, it's just, it was cringeworthy. It was cringeworthy and embarrassing and awful. And I think for me, those are the aspects of this show that I was really disappointed by. I, I, I was, I'm so up for kind of throwing myself into this fictional realm. I'm, I'm, you know, although I actually, I actually, although I, I like metaphysical ideas, I sometimes, I find them a bit, sometimes they can be a bit loose and baggy for a good story because if anyone can be anything and anyone can go anywhere and everyone is everything and do anything, if you can be death and if you can manifest desire, or dream. It's a, it's a big remit, isn't it? It's a big brief. I mean, anything goes. So, and I don't, sometimes I find it hard to believe that. And I find, sometimes I find it hard to invest in a too much of a concept rather than a personality or a person. But I'm up for this, I'm up for this. And in this first episode, I didn't get a lot of dream, which is why I'm sticking with it, because I'm looking forward to getting more of Tom Sturridge in episode two. And at the very end of this episode, there was a clear, you know, tease up clearly how Tom Sturridge and dream is going to be, you know, Sandman's going to, I keep saying, the sand, I presume he's the Sandman, right? He's the Sandman, he's got the bag of sand. Charles Dance dies, Charles Dance gets his head knocked, very undramatic and bleeds to death. And that was all, that was all very exciting. Uh, the son of Charles Dance gets old so quickly, um, too old, in, in fact, and the prosthetics were just awful. I mean, he looked so old, you've got all this CGI around, prosthetics were bad, his partner, he looked bad too, it was just old. Um, there was quite a neat, funny little moment where I thought the guards guarding Dream in his glass sphere, they were sort of dreaming of Mallorca and then suddenly Dream obviously made them go to Mallorca uh, and then they die um, and, and they, they're killed, they're thrown into eternal sleep. Um, but the best bit of this episode for me was the guy in the boater, I'm, I'm presuming this is Corinthian, uh, as he he's so we, we, it's basically revealed to us that he's carved the eyes out of another victim. And this is where the Sandman myth or fairy tale or fantastic tale, if you like, uh, got confusing for me because I kind of relate the Sandman to the loss of eyes and the sprinkling of sand dust, you know, into eyes and all that kind of stuff. Dream is finally freed due to, it struck me that Dream was freed due to a 
a smudged boot print in the sort of pentangle-like circle surrounding his glass sphere. Is that right? Could it be something as rudimentary as that that allowed Dream to finally escape, that they smudged the circle and so the circle was incomplete, the magic circle was incomplete? Uh, anyway, so he goes back to his realm. He goes back to the most enormous doors I think I've ever seen in, in anything. I mean, I'm amazed even CGI could create doors that big. And this is Gaiman's realm, and he goes back and he says, I will make this realm great again because the realm has decayed. And there was quite a nice moment where he said, did people not trust me? Now, what I saw of Tom Storage as Dream, I really liked. I just didn't see a lot. He was just very quiet, he was very naked, and he was very still. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting more of him. And I'm looking at the cast list. There's a whole heap of great actors coming towards us. Have I kind of got a grip on this first episode? Am I right in the Corinthian being the main sort of villain character? And am I right in thinking that Tom Storage, Dream Sandman, is the, 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 he is the Sandman? Um, interesting opener didn't really give me everything that I was hoping for from an opener, um, but I'm committed and I'm going to watch episode two. What do you think, guys? For more film and family fun, don't forget to click the subscribe button and make sure to click the bell to never miss an update.